1 Corinthians 7. We're going to start in verse 35 and go through the rest of chapter 7. And it says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passion to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as, her betroth as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> Let's pray. Jesus, we trust that you are good. Always. Even when we're not. We trust you because of your goodness that you displayed on the cross for us when you paid our debt. Because of that act, we can trust you. But Jesus, we need you. Holy Spirit, we need you to soften our hearts, to reveal sin, to draw us back into this amazing love that we have. Would you speak to us this morning? We love you in your name. Amen. Well, have you ever done something immediately thought, why did I just do that? Humans have this uncanny ability to be fully functioning, but not fully thinking. At times, it can be funny. Like, uh, my friend in high school one time was driving home, and he drove a full two hours because he wasn't paying attention, right? But at times... It can be really frustrating, even devastating. I'll never forget a phone call I had in a past relationship where I had been deeply, deeply hurt. And I had every intention of communicating uh, this hurt to my ex like a mature world that I was. <laughs> and I had this plan, you know, I was taking a bunch of psychology classes and I knew not to bring up all the hurt that I've ever had, right? Just focus on this one thing, and that was my plan. I was determined to do it. Well, about two minutes into this phone call, the explanation that was being given to me was not satisfactorily lined up with my experience of the situation. So quickly, calm and mature 18-year-old Aaron became dumbfounded and enraged 18-year-old Aaron, right? I suddenly found myself on the call saying, no. No, 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 and I'm, I'm not exaggerating, screaming at the top of my lungs. I threw every bit of frustration and hurt that I had been holding on to at this poor girl, and I said incredibly hurtful and mean things, but I couldn't It was as if with every word, something in me was saying, 
Yes. Is what you wanted. This is the void that you were feeling. This will bring you what you're really craving. But of course, the call ended with me panting in rage, wondering, why did I just do that? That was not my plan. It also ended with my roommates knocking on the door and poking their head through, very concerned. But besides the point, if I'm being totally honest, it was the desire of my heart above any plan I had made to make this girl feel pain. I wanted to feel puffed up and justified in my side of things to make her feel the pain and feel sorry and even feel the embarrassment that I feeling. The reality is, I was more devoted to my desires than I was willing to admit. Above what I thought I could handle, my desires rose to the surface above all else, and I did what I wanted. And Paul, in this passage this morning, is holding before us a sobering reality that we are more devoted to our desires than we Now, the passage today is directly talking to everyone that is not currently married. Dating, engaged even, widowed, Paul also has some good news. Anyone who is married in this room, not only does the word that Paul has apply to you too, but even if it didn't, this would not excuse you to tune out. We want, remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago. We want our whole church to have a proper view of singleness. And we also want our whole church to have a proper view of marriage. And let's just be honest for a second. We who are married have done a terrible job at understanding singleness and truly encouraging our single Christian brothers and sisters. The American church as a whole has basically failed in this regard, but right now I'm not talking to a theoretical American church. I am talking well, to me, to you who are married in this room. We have been aiding the enemy in attacking our Christian brothers and sisters. What do I mean? Well, like I said, we have a deeply, deeply rooted problem. We are more devoted to our desires than we are to Christ. So much so that if we think we have good desires, we reject the idea that Jesus would call us to something other than what we desire most in our hearts. Isn't that, isn't that one and the same, right? Surely the thing I long for the most at least if it's a good thing like marriage, has been placed there by God. But, church, that is the wrong starting point. 
Paul has been making his case for all of chapter seven that you, Christian, have a new relationship with the world. You were bought with a price, like we just sang, and given new priorities. Let's start back with me. Start at the go to this seven, and we're kind of just gonna gonna fly through here uh, on a couple things. Uh, go to verse four. It says um, a little bit down. Authority over her own body, but the husband does, and the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. They're down into some difficult marriages, right? And he says, stay married. Why? Well, the idea of you representing something bigger than yourself. How do you know will save your husband? Or how do you know will save your wife? Right? Then, next verse, you're called to save. Oh, a little further down in 22 here. Uh, now you're a bondservant of Christ. And because of that, you were bought with Christ. So then in 26, he says, it is good to remain as you are and submit to the calling of Christ. Why? Verse 35. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order Secure your undivided devotion. So what's the new? Now that our relationship with the world has changed, the things we are devoted to must change. Church, we must fight for undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, maybe you're sitting there thinking, Aaron, that's pretty extreme, right? Undivided. Do you know what that word means? Like, I can't even watch a TV show and not be divided because my phone's buzzing. I got to know what's going on with my phone, right? Let alone the fact that when I'm watching, I can't be undividedly devoted to the Lord, right? But these are Paul's exact words. Paul's aim is to secure undivided devotion to the Lord. So we have to ask, why? Why, Paul? Why is that the aim? Why should we put effort into fighting for undivided to the Lord? Frankly, that feels a little and you don't want to put a restraint on us. That kind of feels like one. Well, Paul says, and this is such good news for us this morning. The Lord actually wants to do well. The Lord actually wants you to do well. Now, does he care about his glory? Of course, he is focused on his glory, but did he design his glory and, and satisfaction to be bound together in the same act? Yes. And what is Paul saying? The emphasis is here at the end. Of He's saying the Lord wants you, church, to do well. And guess what? He's invested in that. He's invested in you doing well. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 36. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let him marry. 
word is for those who are betrothed. If you're called to marriage, get married. So betrothed word, uh, Nick touched on it last week. It, it literally translates in the Greek virgin, but in the context, it is he is speaking to an engaged couple, right? Some translations uh, might be different. Uh, if you're not using the ESV, it might say something different. The engaged translation is the most his formal and so he is hinging this statement uh the statement of if you're called to be married right get married and you'll do well right your authority to the lord but this is he's it's one flow of thought right we've preached on this but it is thought he is still calling back the first couple verses of chapter seven one through nine, where he has established the goodness of sex. Do you remember that? The goodness of sex within the context of marriage. But he also, in that same vein, said some people have a grace gift, a spiritual gift, literally empowered by the Spirit, a gift of singleness, right? So he's calling back to that. He also, again, wants you to be thinking of verse 17 where he says the Lord has specifically assigned you a life that he has called you to right so because our priority is to be fully devoted to the Lord and foremost and then because we all understand you've been called to a specific life which could be a gift of celibacy and singleness Paul is saying here that if your sexual passions that's literally the word he's using your sexual are still strong and you're engaged they not called to remain in in fact now your sexual desires could be the way of your devotion to Christ and also you could be ignoring this call to get married it would be interfering again with your devotion to Christ so you will not be sinning in fact, you'll be stepping into the call that the Lord has for your life. Thus, you will be more equipped to be devoted to Christ through your marriage. There's such confidence when we are grounded in devotion to the Lord. Right? Do you see the confidence we can have when our priorities are straight? There's no need for fear about Finding the theoretical, the one, right? We don't have to have fear in commitment of a lifelong ball and chain, whatever. Um, when your priorities are strict, you step into the life God has assigned you. And you are, in that case, when you're stepping into what God has called you, you are promised to do well. Be devoted to Submit to your calling, get married, and you'll do well. He's also applying this uh, to widows. Look at verse. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. If her husband dies, she's free to be whom she wishes only in the Lord. So again, Paul's same starting point: devotion to Christ, understanding uh, that you have signed to a life. And he says something new though: in the Lord. Right? This is very, very important. Uh, the essence, the soul of a person, they are in the Lord. So presumably, 
you're on one side of it, but that person, it's the same for that person. They are devoted first and foremost to the Lord, right? And they are stepping into the calling that they are called to, right? They are in the Lord. It is on both sides, which really has a lot of implications for us, right? This is something that affects dating. It affects how we think about my ultimate, okay, when I'm going to be married, this is my call, and my, my primary, you know, focus on the Lord, it is saying something about who we are dating, right, and who we're pursuing. That Paul says in the Lord it is just implied, assumed. They are uh, functioning with the same... So, he says, the widow too. In that case, be married. And, you'll and if we're honest, I think the church has stopped there. Folks, get yourselves married. Make yourself a person of the Lord. Follow the desires of your heart into marriage. Continues. Look at verse 3. But whoever is established under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and he has so then he marries his betrothed, does he who marries better. Paul's next word is also married, but with a different outcome. You're called to refrain from marriage, Paul is saying, stay single, stay celibate, and you will do You will do even. Hear that language? Truly, even better? I mean, right now, are, are you scoffing at that? Are you like, Paul, you'll do even better, bro, right? No way. Uh, honestly, that, that can't be. What, what can he possibly mean? Well, he says it again in verse 40. Now, with, for the widows. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, a.k.a. single, celibate. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. How on earth could he say that and actually mean it? I mean, doesn't he realize what, what we've been missing out on then? Yes, <laughs> he knows, right? Very well. He is very clear. Paul is single, right? And he's been very clear multiple times throughout this passage that he thinks singleness is the way to go. A little clear here. Celibacy, okay? But that does also imply. But Paul is saying there is an actual gift of spirit gift. Of all the reasons, right? But I think what's cool about this passage is he's now getting super practical for us. Because again, the hinge statement, it's verse 35. When your priority, your top priority is undivided devotion to Christ and you have an understanding that you might be granted this grace gift of celibacy and you're feeling firmly established in your heart, 
right? And your sexual desires are under control, you can determine, even in the context of engagement. With there, maybe it was a little bit different in the context of what he's talking about, but not that different because it still was a promise towards, towards engagement, towards marriage, right? So even in that setting, you can determine to remain single. Why? Because in this case, you have a gift of celibacy and singleness. And Paul is literally saying, if you do, it's far better to stay single and celibate and walk in step into the life that God signed and called you to. Do you see the magnitude of what Paul's saying? Is it, it is better for single with the gift of celibacy and singleness to remain single. Period. Does that sound like anything you've ever heard in our culture? Certainly not American culture, right? But even Christian culture. Like obviously, American culture, it disagrees, right? Have you ever seen a movie? <laughs> right? There has a, has a major crisis. And along the way, finds if they could, that they could solve the crisis without finding love, which either directly solves the crisis at hand, or now they can solve the crisis together, right? Disney, I mean, it, it takes our two-year-old selves right there. You'll never be happy without true love. Anyone keep that from you. Horrible person. But you will prevail. One day, someone will come to find you and, and ultimate joy and satisfaction will be found in true love. Okay, I'm kind of ranting now, but even Lion King, okay? My son, he's loving it. We've watched it way too often uh, recently, but it's just on all the time. And so I've just noticed homeboy Simba, right? He can't be who you truly are until he feels the love tonight with Nala, right? To finally find the confidence to ask himself, wait, what am I doing here, right? And then realize this is not who I'm supposed to be. And now together they can go back and fight Scar and take over Pride Rock, right? It's ridiculous. Our culture says you deserve whatever makes you happy. But of course, Happiness ends in some form of partnership. It doesn't matter what kind. Don't feel confined by gender or even historic principles of commitment on paper. Just find connection and be happy. But obviously, your happiness is tied to connection. You'd never remain alone for your entire life, right? Why? Because you deserve the thing you've always dreamed of. And dreams always end in some form of companionship. And this constant discipling of our hearts towards marriage, towards companionship, anti-loneliness, it's creeped its way into the church, right? Into Christian culture. There's this underlying notion that maybe is never directly said, but... It does say, communicate, if you're married, you're living the blessed life. And if you're not married, well, you're in little league. But that's okay. 
One day, you'll move up. One day, you'll get out of Little League. Keep praying. Keep improving. Keep making yourself more eligible. Get yourself out there. You won't be forever. This is the epitome of my point. I was told this now. I was counseled actually by more person, and I hate to say I've too. There's this, this imagery, whatever you call it, of, of, okay, Aaron, Aaron. Your eyes on Jesus, right? Good, good. And move towards him. And you're just, you're going to get closer to him and closer to him and closer to him. One day, you're going to look to the left and you're going to see somebody else that is as close to Jesus as you are. And then you'll know that's the person you're going to marry. <laughs> and that's it? Like, we tricked each other. <laughs> you thought I was going to Jesus, but I found you, and now we can get married, right? Do you know, church, who wants you to take your eyes off of Jesus? It's and this is the counsel. Do you see even, okay, yes, we can fix that analogy. I know. But do you see the heart of what we're encouraging our brothers and sisters with? Well, everyone in this room who is single, who is currently not married, please, please hear me. I am so sorry for the way that we as married Christians have failed you. Your ultimate goal in life is not to get married. Marriage is wonderful. I'm not saying it's not. But you are not destined a half-filled, lackluster life until the time you get married. Your life does not officially begin once you get married. Your fullest and most satisfactory life begins the moment you decide to give undivided devotion to the Lord. I mean, can we, just, can we just look at some of the scriptures? I have a ton of scriptures up here that we're going to go through that talk about our fulfillment in Jesus and Jesus alone. Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 22, 26. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. Psalm 107, 9. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul. He fills with good things. Proverbs 19, 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Psalm 103, 1 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in within me. Bless his holy Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good 
so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Isaiah 58, 11, and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. 40, 40, 16, you open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Romans 15.13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. There's so much more in the scriptures that are just imploring God's people, please run to him for every need and there you will be met with more joy and satisfaction and fulfillment than you could ever imagine. So we must ask, Christian, do you believe? Lord wants you to do well. All the time. Do you believe he wants you to do well? And therefore, do you believe that giving your undivided devotion to Christ is actually for your good? Even better than Paul is saying, the Lord actually wants you to do well. If you're called to marriage, get married. You will do well. If you're called to refrain from marriage, stay single and celibate, and you will do well. Here's, here's what the passage is not saying. Okay? It's not saying, just do whatever you want heart desires, and if you just randomly decide to get married, then great. If you just happen to decide you want to stay single, then great. But it's also not saying that marriage is just mediocre, right? That it's just barely good enough to not be a sin, assault, as Paul says, right? No, 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 no. Paul, remember, is one of the biggest advocates for marriage, right? Of the beauty and the sanctity of and all of scriptures. And so he's not all of a sudden saying here, marriage is like, bleh, right? He's also, okay, we need to say this too. He's also not saying that dating sin, okay? It's not saying never entertain the idea of marriage. It's not if you're currently seeing someone or literally on your way to marriage, whether that's engagement or, or close to it, that your eyes are off of Jesus, okay? 
I'm saying that's not what the passage is saying. What Paul is saying is you, Christian, will always do better doing what God has called you to than doing what your desires call you will always do better walking in obedience to God's call than giving in to misplaced desires of your heart. Why? Because that's just how good and gracious our God is. He's guaranteeing you that your ultimate happiness, joy, satisfaction, fulfillment is directly tied to the call he's assigned you. And his ultimate call for you undivided devotion to Christ. Church, I hope you feel the good news of this. We don't have to fight devotion to Christ because it's some giant test that you're going to pass or fail, right? Fight for It's the factor for your salvation or not. No, 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 no. Get to fight for undivided devotion to Christ because it is where satisfaction are found. But there's more good news, right? The fight for our joy and satisfaction has ultimately been won permanently in the finished work of Christ. The work of Jesus dying and fully drinking the cup of wrath for sin, paying the penalty owed against God from the dead, defeating sin. It was done so he could seal the great exchange. What's the Our sin is perfect righteousness. So we could be counted as righteous as he is. So we could enjoy the very thing he gets to enjoy for all of eternity. Perfect. Full joy and satisfaction and fulfillment. Perfect relationship with the Father and the Son, and the Spirit, forever. It's done. This is the ultimate good news of all time, and it keeps going, because church, Jesus is risen, living and active, and guess what? With his very spirit. And because we know is Christ, we do not fight this battle for undivided and thus, our ultimate joy and satisfaction, alone. I think desires of control, like Paul is saying in verse 37. I mean, did you read that? It was just like casual, right? 37. Whoever's firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. Is that like, is that just... A life of extreme discipline, right? That person is reading their Bible like 20 a day and locking themselves in a room just so they ever see someone of the opposite sex so that their mind never wanders. No. No, Jesus empowers you to fulfill his will. Remember, he's invested in your good. He help you fulfill his will of giving him your undivided devotion to Christ. Meaning, he wants you to have more joy and more satisfaction because he wants to give more of himself. And this applies. But in the context of celibacy and singleness and in marriage, 
He's not saying that if you're married, you don't need to worry about self-control, right? He talked about that earlier. There's still very much for self-control, but you too are given helper to pursue your undivided devotion to Christ. And Paul is saying that the gift of marriage and the gift of celibacy are equal gifts. Whichever one you're assigned is the best gift for you because it will help you in your devotion to Christ, which will give you the most possible joy and satisfaction that you can experience on earth. Do you hear that? The epitome of life is not or even found in getting your independence forever, right? These are actually not the priority. They're gifts to help you along the way of your actual priority of giving undivided devotion to the Lord. But at the same time, marriage and this gift of celibacy and singleness are actual gifts, glorious gifts, equal gifts. Again, I think if we're being honest, it's a day of honesty, we all treat the gift of singleness kind of like an unwanted white elephant gift, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like one of those parties that the gift budget is maybe like 20 bucks and there's not really any parameters, which means someone's bringing a gag gift, usually me. And uh, you're not that excited for it, but you know, you do the thing and, and you end up with a gift that's like, meh. It's a gift, I guess, right? It's like maybe I'll re-gift it or I'll put it in the guest bathroom, but it's not like literal trash. Paul's saying, this is a gift that is given by the best gift giver in all history. Again, in the great exchange, how best gift in the universe to give. My hope is that we start treating, stop treating it, stop treating it like trash. No thanks, God. I don't want it. I'll stick with my plan. Thanks. Regift that celibacy thing to somebody else. Or the opposite side, maybe we stop over-elevating this gift. Oh, Jesus, I can't believe you died just so I could get married. <laughs> now I get the ultimate life. No, church, no. We must fight for undivided devotion to the Lord. And the gifts he gives, boy, is he a generous gift giver. He loves to lavish on his people. They are meant to lead us to him. So that begs the question, what is getting in the way? What is getting in the way of us seeing the gift we've been given and thus hindering our devotion to Christ? I mean, are we just constantly discipling our hearts in ways of sexual gratification? Are we just getting better and more skilled at bending to our desires? Do you find yourself, after each episode of television, longing for companionship? Or maybe even longing for sexual fulfillment? Are you literally turning the lights out so you can walk in darkness? 
Masturbation will bring you what you need. Sexual fulfillment may at least it's here in part. You're owed that much. Are you stoking the fire of your family thoughts as you scroll through social media platforms? Whether that's living in envy as you watch other people live the life you wish you had, or whether that's clicking ads and profiles leading you further and further into lust. Is every waking hour spent pouring through dating platforms, which, by the way, are not bad. I'm just saying, are you always feeding that desire so that you're never allowed to sit in quiet and ask, is this what the Lord actually wants for me? Are you creating more and more obstacles with your sexual sin, with, with a significant other? Paul leaves no gray area here. All sexual acts outside of marriage are directly hindering you from your devotion to the Lord. From lust and fantasizing thoughts to pornography and masturbation to foreplay and oral sex and any sexual act that does not happen in the context between a married male and female. The options, Paul says, are celibacy or marriage. There is nothing in between. If you are single, you are called, whether or not you have the long-term gift of singleness, to celibacy, right? But you're given that gift through the Spirit. The Spirit will help you accomplish that. But those are the options. Maybe you find yourself in a marriage that you want out of. And your desires and fantasies are about a life far from the one that assigned you. You ignoring the marriage that you've been gifted, filling your life with, with anything and everything to avoid the commitment that you are a part of? Are you bitter this morning? Are you bitter towards Jesus for whatever state your life is in? For the state your heart is in? Are you tired of wondering, why did I just do that sin again? Are you hurt? Are you afraid? Are you confused? Are you numb? Friends, please hear me. You can lay these things down before Jesus right now. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You no longer need to toil. You no longer need to seek for other sources of fulfillment. Rest for your soul is found in me. Freedom from your shackles is found in me. Your greatest joy and satisfaction is found in me. And the rest in Jesus is just astounding on so many levels. Because while we rest, something happens that Paul's been saying this whole chapter. Jesus changes the desires of your heart. You've been bought with a price. Great exchange. Jesus gives you a new heart. One with new priorities. One that sees him and longs for him. One that delights in his Christ. Guess what? <laughs> more Christ, more rest in him. And as we rest in him more, he gives more desires and when you find Christ, you join satisfaction and fulfillment and then you can be more 
devoted to him. And what does he do? He gives you more desire for him. The freedom. The joy. And there's something else that's also astounding. The reality is, even in our old hearts, that longing that our hearts has, it's not an accident. The reason that Disney and our culture passed the idea of true love is because the idea was woven into the hearts of humankind. Creator God wrote that longing into our souls for one purpose, to draw us back to him so he could fulfill that longing. And our new hearts still have that longing. Now they see where this longing is leading us. They see Jesus, right? And in our journey of devotion, for his people, he gives gifts. The gift of marriage and the gift of celibacy. And many more spiritual gifts that, guys, Paul's going to get to in Corinthians, right? But they're all for the purpose of aiding us in our fight to run to him. Not to look left or right, but to be empowered to be devoted to him. And church, there will be a day. No matter if you've been given the temporary gift of marriage or the temporary gift of celibacy, there will be a day where the wedding bells of eternity will ring. The backdrop of galaxies and heavens and a new earth will, of unimaginable beauty will be the setting as we, the bride, his church, are clothed in the immeasurable riches of Christ and are fully and completely welcomed into the unfathomable radiance of his glory to be united with him never to depart. Because death will be dead. Sin will be fully removed. Our ultimate wedding will come. Christ will be ours forevermore. But that reality starts now. The journey of joy and fulfillment starts now. Which is why we must fight for undivided devotion to Christ. So, Anyone that finds yourself single in this moment, do you please pray and ask Jesus if he has assigned you a life of celibacy and empowered you with his gift of singleness. Ask the Lord if the reason you don't have control over your sexual desires or your longing for is because you've only ever discipled your heart in that direction. Ask for the strength to stop and rest and walk in the life he has assigned for you. Because the reality is, again, if you're single right now, you are called to celibacy, right? Which again is good news. You're not alone. You don't have to be afraid. You have a helper. But even if you are granted the lifelong gift, you don't need to feel Delight in his yes or delight in his no. Married couples, would you pray and ask Jesus to reveal the way in which your marriage has replaced the ultimate goal of devotion to Christ? What's getting in the way? Is it a kid's schedule? Sports? Maybe financial decisions? Desires to move? 
desires to change jobs, whatever it is, ask for the strength to remove obstacles and continue your pursuit of undivided devotion to Christ. And for anyone who has not yet tasted the kind of joy and satisfaction in Jesus that I've been talking about, would you consider joining us right now? Recognize that everything thus far on this earth has left you lacking. And would you ask that Jesus becomes your Lord and Savior and allows you to finally find true joy and satisfaction in him? Wherever you're at this morning, please know that the Spirit is eager, eager towards undivided devotion to Christ.